we know that we are compelled by Christ to move beyond just these four walls as a church. And we want to be a church that continues to look beyond our walls with the love of Jesus to bless the socks off this community. And as a church, we feel led to be a church that is for the good of our city. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Ascent. If I haven't met you, I am Bill Stevens. I'm the lead pastor here at Ascent, and it is really good to have you guys here today. Before I get started with this, can I just, I need to make an appeal, okay? I need somebody to step up. Just one person, maybe, maybe one of the counselors in the room, one of the therapists in the room. Will you start a support group for people that take sports way too seriously? Would you just do that? Start that group because there are people out there. I don't know who they are, but there are people out there that are wishing bad things to happen on people. Uh, and, and it's not good. You know, yes, Maurice is right. My beloved Zags lost last night. And, and there was a point, I have to admit, there was a point that I was wishing bodily harm on a ref. I was, I was going, when he called that fourth foul on Timmy at 18 minutes left in the second half, I was wishing bodily harm on that person. And now I hate UConn. You're not supposed to hate people. And I hate every player. I did college ministry for 20 some years. I hate those college players that go to the University of to UConn. I hate them. And so I need some support. I need somebody to start a, a, a Bible study or something that just says all of us. I'd be the first one there. I am Bill Stevens and I have a problem with sports. Can I, and I, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be the first one to say that. You know, I think there's other people in this room. I see somebody in the front row that's got a problem with that. You know, I, I think that I could point you guys out who you are and, and not just guys. I know some of you ladies are in the same place. We need a support group, okay? Um, but okay, enough, enough about that. I came here, middle of the second half, I am here working on my sermon. That's how bad last night got, okay? Um, and I'm sorry if that affects my sermon today. I'm mad! Okay, now let's keep going. Um, we're talking about the characteristics of Jesus today. Just fitting, fitting. We are. We're in a series on, the, on, on the, the character of Jesus. And the reason why we're doing this series right now is because we're getting closer to Easter. We are getting closer to that moment where there is no, there's been no greater display of love than what we're going to see coming up in two weeks. Of God, of God sacrificing his son for you and me on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his leaving us with his Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the greatest single act of love this world has ever seen. And we're coming up on that. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to do a series talking about the character of Jesus for a couple of reasons. One, because as we're getting closer to Easter, let's step even closer to who was it that gave what he gave and why did he do it? And what did that mean for us? The closer we can get to understanding who he is, the more we can understand what happened on Easter and what happened on Good Friday. And so we want to talk about his character for that reason, but also for another reason. See, we believe that because of his death and his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, and because of his Holy Spirit with us, God starts a process in you and me. It's called a sanctifying process of him growing us more and more like Jesus. And so as we lean in, believe, and step into that truth of what happens at Easter, 
a transforming process happens in us and, and we start to display, or the goal would be that we start to display those same characteristics that we're talking about in Jesus, we start to see those in our life. Maybe for some of you, you, you tend to be a little bit more kind of on the, on the selfish side, but you start to see yourself more, more generous and you start going, you know what? I, something's happening to me. That's the transforming work of Jesus. That's his character coming out. Some of you might be a little bit short and, you're, and, you're, and it's easy, you're easily angered and then you start to find yourself having a little bit more patience, a little bit more peace. What's happening? That's the sanctifying, transforming work of Jesus that, that, that comes upon us and our character becomes more like Jesus' character. And so as we're looking at these characteristics and to behold him, to see that, we are, we're saying, look, let's look at those characteristics and how is that starting to play out in our life, okay? Now, today, the, the characteristic that I wanna look at is his courage, especially as we're coming up on Easter, especially as we're coming up on Good Friday and all that Jesus had to face in those days, in, in the days leading up to the cross, the courage of Jesus. I wanna talk more about that characteristic. Now, in order to do so, we might have to have a little paradigm shift in the way we see Jesus, for many of us, this is the way we see him. We see him as, a, as, a, as the, the, the comforting you know, lamb of God that's taking care of the lamb of God. We're, we're seeing Jesus as, as, as meek and as mild and as compassionate and filled with empathy and, and grace and, and wanting to pour that out on the people he's holding on to. That's the way many of us see him, especially if you come from a tradition like mine, a Catholic tradition. We saw pictures like this in our churches. And so this is the way we picture Jesus. Now, listen, there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, the compassion and the empathy and the love and the grace, that is Jesus. But do we ever think of him also, see in Revelation 5, they talk about he is the lamb of God, but he's also the lion of Judah. They also say, say he is the lion and a lamb. Do we ever see him as that? Do we ever see him as the, the strong, courageous lion? Do we ever picture him a little bit more like this? <laughs> now, I don't think he looked like that. He might've. I don't think he did. I, I mean, there's, it's probably sacrilegious to even think about him that way. But, but I mean, I think if he had an eight pack abs, I think that John or Luke or one of those guys would probably say, man, his physique was awesome. And he was in just lifting every single day. I think they would have told us that. But there is still some, there's, this is probably just as inaccurate as the European Jesus I just showed on the picture before. But do we ever picture him that way? Nope. Thanks, Quinn. <laughs> no. Do we ever picture him strong? Do we ever picture him saying, I'm ready to take on the things that you're unable to take on? Because there are times in our life that we absolutely need the lion. You know, and I know there are things in our life that we are facing there's that crazy line that someone, someone made up that said, God will never put you, or, or no, God uh, will never give you more than you can handle, which is a total lie because there's a lot of things we can't handle. But those are the things that we're going, but I need God to be able to handle those things. But I need 
the strong, courageous God that will take on the things that, that drive me to fear and paralysis. That's what I want to talk more about today is how do we start to adopt that characteristic of that courage that Jesus has shown and it showed to, the, to, the, to Pontius Pilate and to the, at the cross, that same courage is available for you and me. How do we access that? in the things that we're dealing with in our life. Father, I pray this morning that you would, would bless this, this time as we, as we step into this. God, help us to understand your sons, the characteristics of your son, and then help us to understand how that affects us and what we can actually adopt in our life because of it. And we pray, Lord, for, for each person here that maybe, maybe even thinking about the transforming work that you have in our lives, they just go, that's not for me. God, help them to know that you are at work in every one of our lives, whether we know it or want to acknowledge it or not. You are at work in our life. God, help us to see that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Here's what I want us to do. I want to take you back to a, real, to a powerful um, season of my life, okay? It was 1997. Um, Jackie and I had just had a couple little kids. Um, we were leading, we were helping to lead a college ministry up in Seattle. We had a chance to go with 63 other college students and a bunch of, and a, a few leaders. We jumped on a plane, went to, flew to New York and then flew from there to Tel Aviv. And then from Tel Aviv, we, flew, we went to Jerusalem and we had a chance to walk in the footsteps of where Jesus had walked, okay? We had a chance to go to the Holy Lands and spend some time there. Some of you guys know this. I've shared this before in here because it was really, really powerful in my life. Now, let me tell you, in going to the Holy Lands, that wasn't a bucket list item for me. I didn't, that wasn't one of those things where I'm going, I can't wait to go to the Holy Lands. In fact, I was worried I was going to be bored when I got there. I know that as a pastor, that's supposed to be number one on your bucket list. Come on, number one on my bucket list is going to every single baseball stadium in the, in the country and catching a foul ball in Fenway Park or in Wrigley Field. That's a bucket list item for me. A bucket list item for me is, is taking Jackie to Tuscany where she can go and take a cooking class in Italy because she loves to cook and she's a fantastic cook and how, how fun would that be? Bucket list item for me is going to St. Andrews and teeing it up there at the oldest golf course in the world and, and getting to walk those hallowed grounds. Going to Holy Land? Ah, okay, I'll go because we're going to have a bunch of students go. So that's, that's what happened with me is I went there not expecting anything. But what happened there um, shocked, surprised me. See, here's, what, here's, here's why. I see myself as a blue collar Christian. There's, there's people that I look at in my life and I just go, man, faith comes so easy to you. That praising God and seeing God in everything and your prayer life and all of it comes so naturally and easy to you. And I envy people like that. But for me, it's always been a fight. I've always, I've always, you know, whether it was in prayer or it was, it was just the, the trying to put it all together in my college years, it was a fight. It was, it was work trying to figure it out. And, and, and I related far more to Thomas. You know, when Thomas doubted Jesus in the, in the resurrection and Jesus comes into that room and he puts his, his hand, he says, Thomas, come on, put your hands in the holes in my hands and feet. When he says that to, to Thomas, he, Thomas does that and Jesus says, man, blessed is the man that doesn't have to see and still believes. And I'm sitting there going, nah, I get you, Thomas. That's where, that's where I've been in a lot of my life is more of where Thomas, I, I would have needed to put my hands into the hole in his side. And so I, that's, the way, that's, I, that's the way it's always been for me and my faith. And so when I went to the, to the Holy Land, 
not expecting anything. I get there and it was, it was the tangible meeting the divine. And there was something powerful about that. The tangible meeting it. That I, I was in Tiberias and Tiberias is right on the Sea of Galilee. And I walked out and I had a little quiet time myself that, more, that first morning. And I'm walking around that Sea of Galilee and a, and a dead fish comes floating up onto the shore. And I'm looking at this dead little trout on the shore and I, and I actually reached down and picked it up. And I know you're not supposed to do that, it's gross. Well, I, I did it anyway. I picked it up and I'm going, I'm going someplace in this quarter of a mile right here on this part of the Sea of Galilee, someplace right along here, Jesus came down to this rocky shore, stepped onto a boat, started preaching to people, then told Peter, throw a net on the other side of the boat and you're going to catch a bunch of fish. And it was just like this in this place. It was tangible. I was holding it. And from just holding it, I'm going, this actually happened. Tons of times in, that, in those 12 days that happened when I'm on the Sea of Galilee and I'm, and I'm feeling the splash of water, just the mist of water on my face. I'm going, the disciples, when they were sitting in that boat, scared to death when Jesus walked on water and calmed the storm, they felt that mist on their face. I, we were near Calvary where they believed Jesus, where the cross was at. So they don't know exactly where, but someplace within, I don't know, half a mile of where we're standing, the cross was there. And I just remember falling to the ground and dirt and gravel. And I grabbed some of it and the tears were flowing into the dirt and gravel because I'm going, Jesus' blood was shed someplace right around here onto dirt and rock, just like this, dripped onto this dirt and rock. And so for someone like me, that tangible, the divine and the tangible coming together was powerful, but nothing more powerful. Nothing more powerful than the day that we went from Jerusalem, the wall of Jerusalem's right there, down through the Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives. And as we're heading up to the Mount of Olives, on that side, on this little dusty street, there's a wrought iron fence and you walk into this fence and there is a garden on the other side. And when we stepped into the Garden of Gethsemane, it all came flooding to me. And again, I've shared this to you because this single moment is a powerful moment for me. It all flooded to me. You walk into the garden and all you see is these thousand year old olive trees all over the place. These olive trees where the roots grow on themselves. They're really ugly trees, but they're all, but they're all, there's a bunch of them in this little grove. It's not a pretty garden. It's almost, it's very weedy. I mean, it just, it just, there's, there's, it's, it's just kind of um, uh, gritty in this garden. Weeds and rocks and these olive trees. But this is where Jesus would go. He'd take away time away from everybody else and he'd go sit in this garden. In John 18, he says he would, he would go back to this garden a bunch of times. So he's now in this garden. And this time on a Thursday night, after the, 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 the last supper is what we call it, after that, Jesus went away with his disciples to this place, knowing that the cross was within hours of him. Now he goes into this garden and he, and he sees those trees. And I walked into that garden. I'm going, this was it. He, you could see the wall of Jerusalem. I could hit a seven iron from there over, over over the wall of Jerusalem. So it's a, it's, it feels really close. And in that moment, Jesus is with his disciples. And here's what happens. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane and Jesus said, sit here while I go pray. He took Peter and James and John with him and he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
See, in, in this moment right here, this is when I was there in the Holy Land, I, I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to be do, leading this kind of devotion time with all these college students. And I'm reading this and I start weeping. I can't get through it because it was so real sitting in that place where Jesus was with them and he was deeply troubled and distressed. That describes an, an acute emotion, an extreme emotion, a, a compound of, of fear and uncertainty and anxiety. All of those things Jesus is feeling in that moment in the garden. It's important for us to understand that when we're going through the moments of uncertainty and the moments of fear and anxiety in our life, it is super important for us to know Jesus was in that acute moment at this time. Okay, so here's what happens. He went a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. And he says, Abba, Father. That word Abba is Aramaic for a very, very personal way to talk about the father. It's really daddy, it's dad. And he's going, he's going, dad. Now the Jewish people never even used this word because they felt that it was disrespectful. But Jesus is going, man, in this moment, dad, he cries out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. And then he returned and found the disciples asleep. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch with me even for one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in a temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I love this moment. The disciples are us. Come on, they've had a long day. Jesus going off to pray. He might be praying for hours. They're just sitting back there. They have no idea what's coming next. They're falling asleep. Jesus coming back to them. You guys are sleeping? And they're like, yeah, why, not? why wouldn't we be at this point? And I love what he says. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Come on, we know that. How many times have you said, man, I'm going to do this. And then the body is weak and it does. You know how many times I've driven past McDonald's and I've gone, the spirit is willing. I'm going to drive right past it, but the body is weak. Uh, double cheeseburger, please. You know, it, it's the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus knows that in us. And he says this, then Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open and they didn't know what to say. And then he returned to them the third time. And he said this, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But you guys, this next part, if you're not gonna catch anything else from today, if you're not gonna catch anything else from what, what the God has given me to say today, this is the moment that I need you to catch. So if you're on your phone checking scores or whatever you're doing right now, this is the moment, come back right here because this is a moment that he absolutely gets every single one of us. In the midst of his anxiety, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the questions, in the midst of the uncertainty, in this moment, Jesus says this, the time has come. The Greek word is a word, it's, it's, it's a peko. And that word literally means enough. Jesus in the midst of all of that stuff doesn't say that stuff needs to go away, doesn't get that stuff away before he does it. He knows in the midst of all of those feelings, in the midst of that, that acute emotion, he stands up and he says, Abeko, it's enough. It's time. We need to face this. We need to take this step. 
We have to grab hold of that moment because we all have in, in our lives, some of you have it right now, some of you had it last week, some of you will have it this week. Those moments of anxiousness and fear and uncertainty. And in those moments, we so desperately need to do something. And, and this is where Jesus is going, are we gonna have an apeco moment? A moment where we just say enough. I told you guys this, that when, when uh, you know, I stood on our driveway a few months after the fire and, and, and as, I'm, as I'm digging through all the stuff, I told you this, that, that I'm digging through that stuff and I don't even know what I was looking for. I think mostly I was trying to dig up all of our memories. <laughs> Wasn't gonna find anything, but just trying to, there's something about in the ash, just trying to dig up memories, just, just, you know, the, the wall that has everyone's height on it all the way through all the years of our kids. Just, I'm not, I'm not going to find it, but I'm digging up the memories. And, and, I'm, and there was a moment where I stood back and, I, and I, I said this to you that I'm standing on this driveway looking at it. I'm just going, enough, Bill. That was an, an apeco moment of going in the midst of the anxiousness and the fear and the disillusionment and the disappointment and all of it. There's a moment where you have to go, I have to take a step now. I have to take a step either towards or for some of you away, away from something you've been stepping into too often. I gotta have a moment of courage to stand up and say, enough. Not, not void of all those feelings, but in the midst of those feelings. That's what Jesus did. The son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. He says, up, let's, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. And immediately, even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. The rest of the disciples didn't know. And now they're panicked. Peter takes out a sword and cuts off Malchus, one of the soldiers' ears. And Jesus heals him and says, no, 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 Peter, step back. I have to do this. See, See, this was the courageous moment that Jesus shared. This is what, this is that step that he had to take. Now, I can't talk about courage and, sh and talk about what this, what this means and this step and, and without showing my favorite single video about this my, from one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, let's, wa let's watch We Bought a Zoo in the Moment of Courage. Yes, I didn't listen to something she told me or something. I mean, I liked her. It's like you embarrass yourself if you say something. You embarrass yourself if you don't. You know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of just embarrassing bravery. And I promise you, Something great will come of it. See, I just love that because it's, you know, that's Hollywood's way to say what I'm talking about. 20 seconds of insane courage, 20 seconds of ridiculous bravery. That's, that's an apeco moment of standing up and saying, I have to take a step. I have to take a step towards... You've been single for a long time and you're going to put yourself out there on another dating app and you're going to go on another date and you're going, I don't even want to do that. And that moment of going, enough, come on, not enough to say, stop, stop doing it enough to say, okay, in that fear, I'm going to take this step. 
You're, you're in retirement years and you're, you're about to retire and you're going to take that step into retirement. I know that a lot of us will celebrate that, but there's fear that comes with that as well. You lose your spouse and it's that sitting in your house and going, do I want to go take on life again? And that moment of standing up and saying, okay, I got to move even in the midst of the emotion. See, that's our Apeco moments. And that's what Jesus is, is, is bringing to us. Now, how does Jesus do it? Well, he knows his father and he knows the history. He knows both. He's very in touch with the history of what we see in the Older Testament. And so he knows both of those things. And so he can rely on the truth that comes from those places. In Joshua 1.9, this is a passage that lots of people have memorized. Joshua's moving into the promised land. He doesn't know what he's going to face there. Moses has died. He's on his own. And what's God say? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. See, Jesus knows that's the character of God that's being presented to him. Isaiah 41, Isaiah says, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. David knows that truth. And in 1 Chronicles, David then says, as his people are rebuilding the temple, he says, be strong and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. You can go into the New Testament. Jesus says to, to all of his disciples, spoke to them all at once. Don't be afraid, he says. You guys, this is all over scripture. When God calms Abraham, when Hagar is, is fearing for her life, to the Israelites when they're in Babylonian captivity, to Mary when she's facing pregnancy, to the shepherds when they see the angels, to Zechariah when he sees God. Every single time God comes to him, he says, be strong and be courageous. Now, now, we can grit our teeth and say, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. But we got to know why. Why in the world would he say that? Why is Jesus saying, be strong and courageous? How am I going to get that? Well, he knows that there was, there was more to each one of those passages. Joshua 1, 9, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. I want you to think about how powerful this is as I'm reading this. The maker of the universe does not owe us anything. God, God doesn't have to try to convince us of anything, but he loves us and he knows how hard faith is. And so God goes out of his way in his word over 50 times as he's talking about strong and courageous, he's saying, this follows. Every time I kept looking, it just kept following. That God goes out of his way to say, I am with you. And if you pair that to the love that I've shown on the, with my son on the cross, and you see how much I love and care for you, you put those together, now take a step that's where you're going to get your courage. When David says, when David says, you know, be strong, and courageous and do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged as they're building the church, which is exactly what we're doing here at Ascent. He says, the Lord, my God is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He will see to it that all the work related to the temple of the Lord is finished correctly. He's saying, I'm with you. Jesus spoke to them. Don't be afraid. He says, take courage. I am here. 
Do you hear God's convincing voice? Do you hear him say that to you? As you face what's in front of you and whatever uncertainty or fear, do you hear that voice that says, I am here? Do we trust it enough to then say, and you care for me while I'm here? And then from that, do we hear that we can take a step of courage? Now, now, you might say, but this was said 2,000 years ago to a specific person. This was said thousands of years ago to Joshua. That doesn't apply to me today. Well, get this, you guys. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. You know what Paul is saying there? Those promises that he gave Joshua, be strong and courageous, do not be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That promise is, is, has been fulfilled in Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And because of that, those promises, is, it's a resounding yes that that promise is for you and me today. It's a resounding yes that what he said then, his character has not changed. And that promise is for you and me. And that's powerful for us in our life to take another step. Now let's apply that to, the, to, to present day right now. I think about my son-in-law, Justice, Justice and Ella. He lost his job two months ago. He got two months of severance. This is his last weekend of his severance. And now he's stepping into unemployment, which is about half of what he was getting with what, at his job. He was part of the tech industry that lost 100,000 you know, 100, jobs were dropped in, in, in one week. And he was part of that. Now he's applying. He's applied to about 50 different places and got a bunch of no's. He gets that same thing that some of you guys hear when you go, you are overqualified. You know, he gets that one or he gets the one where it's, we're just not ready to, to, to hire that position yet. You know, he'll get those, but that doesn't help he or Ella or our granddaughter Allie very much. And, uh, and so he's stepping into it tomorrow. Now, if he just grits his teeth and says, I got to be courageous, he will more than likely fail. But what I want to encourage Justice and Ella, draw closer to Jesus. Not so that you're going to get a job, but draw closer to Jesus. Know, know that he is with you. Know that he will not forsake you. Know that that's the relationship he has and he cares for you. And he's got you in his hands. And from that, you can, might have an apeco moment of saying, go put your name out there again and again and again and again. You might go to the doctor and you get from the doctor, you get that results. They said it's cancer. Now, I haven't had to deal with that personally. My, my father has, or he's, my dad's dealing with it right now. But you get that notice, you get that doctor that says it's cancer. And then you hear all the courageous people that have fought off cancer. And you're going, okay, now I gotta be that person, but how in the world am I gonna do that? All I know is I, I've seen it happen with, my, with one of my closest friends that was a mentor in my life in Janie Donatucci. When she got the diagnosis of cancer and, she, and, and, she, and it, was, it was stage four, her first response was denial. Her first response was the, was the insecurity and the, and, the, um, and, the, and the anxiety and the disappointment. And he, she said, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want any of you guys talking about it. I don't have it. That was first. But there was an apeco moment for her 
where she's going, enough, I've got to face this. And she stood up to face it. Now, what did she do? She just drew closer to Jesus. And for the next 10 years of her life, she fought that cancer by just drawing closer and closer to Jesus. And we all saw it. And I was blessed by it. And her, the intimacy, I think if Ray was here right now or her daughters were here, they would say her, her intimacy with Jesus only increased as she went through those years. And finally, when it was finally done, did she lose her bout with cancer? Did she lose her bout? No, man, she, just, she, she lived fully for those 10 years and she saw that Jesus was right there with her and knows that he will be with her and with her family even after she, after she was gone. And that gave her the courage to fight. Many of you guys know Vic Goulas, that, that he, was, he was part of our church and, um, and he got diagnosed with ALS. And man, he told me, he said, he said when I went to the golf course and, and I couldn't stand on the putting green to just practice putting because my legs couldn't hold me up. He said, he said, the disappointment and the fear was right there. But all Vic did is draw closer to Jesus. And for the time that he had left, he just, his, he gained courage to keep standing even when he couldn't stand. And I'm the one that's blessed by it. I get to sit there with he and Mo on a regular basis. And I got to sit and have unbelievable conversations. He helped lead this church from a wheelchair because he said, I'm just going to draw closer to Jesus. And God met him in those moments right up until he took his last breath. For me, you guys, for me personally. Last week, um, Aisha was, was speaking to us and she talked about Jesus' first, first moments in, the, in his ministry where he went away for 40 days in the wilderness and he didn't eat anything for 40 days. And after those 40 days, Satan comes to him and knows his weakness and tempts him in the wilderness, knowing the deepest weaknesses that Jesus was experiencing in that time. The biggest one was he was hungry. And so, so Satan comes to him and says, turn that stone into bread and you won't be hungry anymore. Basically his temptation to Jesus was, you can do that. You don't need God. You have the power to do it. That was the temptation. Well, that morning when Aisha was talking about that, I'm sitting next to that post right there, having a quiet time myself before the service started. And I was on that moment around the wilderness. And I sat there and I thought, in, the, in my greatest weakness, what would Satan tempt me with? And then I thought about it. Just last week, I went to, to have coffee with Jim Candy, our, our co-lead pastor here, um, when, when we first got started at Ascent. And when, when I went, we just went to catch up together at, at, at Murphy's and we're sitting there talking. He says, Bill, how are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm exhausted. And he said, which part of the job is making you the most exhausted? And I said, I said to be honest with you, Jim, I said, I just am, am so tired of the roller coaster of the desire for myself to, for, for, for financial security. And it's not me personally, it was more for us as a church. I said, I told him, I said, my entire life of ministry and especially the, the nine and a half years of leading Ascent, I'm just so tired of, of the great month, great month, down month, down month, good month, really good month, really bad month, bad month, bad month. Now, what are we gonna do? Now, please, this is not a pitch, by the way. This is not a pitch. This is just me, just like if any of you guys started a business and you know what that's like month to month, this is what it's like. And I told Jim, I said, I'm tired of riding that roller coaster. I'm tired of that emotion. I'm tired of being afraid of the, of the number that comes when I ask Beth, how did we do this month? I'm just, 
I said, I just, and I said, the reason why I think I'm more exhausted by it today than I've ever been before is because I so stink and believe in our vision. I so believe in, in blessing the socks off of this community. I so believe in, 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 in being for the good of our city. I so believe in the people that are helping to make that happen, our staff that's helping to make that happen. I believe in them and I'm so deeply invested in them and so deeply invested in the vision that I'm just going, God, come on. If you just gave us the financial need to be able to do this, we could just go. And I hear my friends that started a church in Austin, they're going, I don't know what to do with all the money that we've got. And I'm like, dang, how about just donate it to, to the guy that inspired you to help do that? No, no, no. You know, I'd give him some sort of a guilt trip. Um, but I just going, man, I just, if, 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 if I only had that, and that's, and that's what I wrote in my journal as I'm sitting back there, I'm going, if Satan were to say, Bill, I'm going to give you financial security, would you take it for maybe the next five years for the church? I wrote in, the, I wrote in my journal, yes, I'll take it. Because he knows my weakness. But then I turn the page and Jesus in the next page is saying, I'm not going to rely on my power. I'm going to rely on the Lord. Jesus basically saying what it says in Joshua at the end of Joshua 1.9. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And in that moment, I'm sitting there going, the Lord, my God is with me wherever we go. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to leave our church. He's not going to forsake us. And I have to lean on that. And I know that. What God is saying to me is, will you trust no matter what in my love and my care and my presence enough to stand up and take another step towards the vision that I've given you as a church? Will you do it? Brennan Manning wrote in Ruthless Trust, he says, the night has, is bad and our nerves are shattered and darkness comes and pain is all around us and the Holy One is conspicuous by his absence and we want to know the true feelings of the inscrutable God towards us. We must turn and look at Jesus. Jesus assured us of two things, presence and promise. I'll be with you every day of your life until your time runs out. In varying degrees, suffering and loss touches every life as does the presence of God in Christ if we have faith in his presence and hope in his promise. And I love the title of the book. It's one of my favorite books of all time, Brendan Manning, Ruthless Trust. If we're seeking out courage, we can grit our teeth and just say, okay, I'm gonna be courageous. Or we can have a ruthless trust and a God that goes all the way to the cross for us. We can have a ruthless trust in his power and his presence and his promise in our life. And then from that, take a step towards that date again. Take a step towards that, that retirement. Take a step towards that generosity. Take a step towards that forgiveness that you need to extend to somebody that you've been holding it back. Take a step towards, the, towards the, the school that you're trying to apply to and you don't know if you should or you don't know if you have the qualifications to do it. Take a step towards that counselor that you need to go see. 
Take a step away from that thing that you keep going to over and over and over again. God's giving you the courage to do it. It's standing at the door. You open the door and Jesus is going, it's right here. You can have an apeco moment right now because I'm handing it to you. It's my character that's being transformed in you. Reverse that Joshua 1.9. Reverse that. First, look at it and say, man, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. And because of all of that, be strong. Be the, have the courage of a lion. Do not be discouraged. I will be with you wherever you go. Father, we pray that, that in whatever circumstance we're each facing, that you would meet us in that. I pray that you would help us in that, that we would understand that you are present and your promise is for us and that you are strong. I thank you for your empathy and your compassion. And I also thank you for your strength and your courage. I pray that you would help us to see how real and tangible that is in our life so much that when we are feeling paralyzed by our fear and paralyzed by the uncertainty and paralyzed by the disappointment and paralyzed by the unknown, the anxiousness, that we can stand up just as you did in the garden and say, enough, I've got to move. Give us, Jesus, the courage to do that. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna stand and sing one more song together, you guys. It's, it's called The Battle Belongs to the Lord and we have sang this song many times in here before. The lyrics are so powerful for what we're talking about today. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see the mountain moved. When I, as I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me and there's nothing to fear now for I am safe with you. So I'm gonna fight on my knees because I'm gonna look to you. And from that, you will give me the courage to take one more step towards what I gotta take. You guys, come on, let's sing of the beauty of a promise that's for you and me, that the battle truly does belong to the Lord.